Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, a lot of OU football news, staff changes, portal, all kinds of stuff. Then Cole Kublik joins us to preview the national title game between Washington and Michigan. And we finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Sunday, January 7th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of January, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this on Sunday afternoon, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. And Ted, the never-ending stream of content for OU football continues. My goodness. Yeah, we couldn't even make it. But the college football season's not even over yet. We couldn't uh, we couldn't get out of there without some big changes and obviously transfer portal stuff going on. So, man, year-round, year-round. Uh, year round let's let's get right into it and, and let's start here ted roof and the sooners mutually part ways in, in the press release that was issued venables mentioned that he had offered roof uh, a position to remain part of the ou program and, and roof respectfully declined that position but ted what was what was your initial reaction to the news well i was surprised uh, not shocked. It it has never felt, even from the very beginning, that this was going to be a long term hire for whatever reason. Uh, it, I just kind of had that feeling, um, and you know, I I thought like continuity moving forward for Oklahoma is going to be the most important thing, and shockingly. To lose an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator 
in one year, a starting quarterback moving into a new conference, it feels like, oh my gosh, that's way too much change. But there's not actually that much change. Um, I think continuity, again, is, is going to be critically important. So uh, uh, even though there's some change in titles, I don't know that, you know, the real nuts and bolts of the offensive defense are going to have that much of a change. But um, it's still, it's a lot to process before you you switch conferences. So uh, I can't say that, that I wasn't surprised. Uh, I was. But, you know, again, just going back to you know, the way it felt whenever this hire was made, it didn't feel like it was uh, always going to be a long-term thing. So, you know, here we are um, replacing OC and DC in one year. Yeah. And it, it's not like anything significant is happening next season. It's not like we're embarking on a new journey into a new conference, the most difficult conference in the sport. No, it's, it's really interesting. Now, the first thing, you know, I, you and I, we both really like Ted Roof. He was, he was a lot of fun to talk to. I always really enjoyed my chats with him after games. And, and he was a guy that was you know, very realistic about where they were defensively in the two years that he was the defensive coordinator. And he always told me, like, they are not where they want to be from a personnel standpoint. But before the 2023 season... Now, he was pretty transparent with me. He was like, we're we're not there yet, but we're going to be a lot better. You know, we're going to be a lot better. And he was right. Now, some of the things he told me that were going to be issues absolutely ended up being issues for him defensively. But I I enjoyed being around Ted Roof. Fun guy to be around. And I I know that a lot of OU fans may look at this and go, hey, Zach Alley reportedly going to be the next defensive coordinator. He's going to be going to get younger. What's that mean for recruiting? What's that just mean for the energy levels, all that stuff. But I like Ted roof, man. He was, he was a cool guy to to talk to. I'm, I'm going to miss Ted roof. I agree a hundred percent. He's obviously has a ton of experience. He's been to a bunch of different places, uh, you know, been a coordinator, a bunch of different style of defenses. So, you know, it was, um, it's one of those things where, you know, whenever the head coach is a defensive guy, and in this case, obviously, Brent Venables, who is, uh, like, we all know the personality type, and he's kind of, he's been over the top of that defense and will continue to be over the top of that defense. So, um, I don't, I guess it wasn't a surprise that, you know, heard that Ted Roof was, you know, going to continue to wanted to continue to go coach and be a coordinator somewhere and, you know, be able to really, you know, I don't know that how much of his, his real imprint or, you know, how much sway he had in what they were doing or, you know, and I, I feel like he probably would like to go somewhere where he has, ends up with a little more autonomy to, to what he wants to do. But um, I thought he did a really good job while he was here. Very important. The first two years getting, our defense up to speed. That's the most difficult part is whenever you're trying to get the masses of your, of your football team all together and on the same page. And I think over the first two years, they did a pretty good job doing that. Yeah. I think that everyone would agree from the time that Venables took over the defense is in a much better place than it was. And, and Ted roof had a big hand in that, but now we move on to 
okay, who's the next guy? There's all kinds of reports out there that Zach Alley is going to be the next defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Uh, From the people that we've talked to, that seems to definitely be the case. That's the best way. It just seems like some, uh, some contract language needs to be worked out. Yeah, I'm guessing so. Uh, but yeah, that's, that sounds like who it's going to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to, to learn more about Zach. He's, he's got a, he's got an interesting history. He's young, going to be energetic. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's who I would expect, expect it to be. And I would be very surprised if it wasn't. Right. So, Spent seven years at Clemson with Brent and just talking to some people that were at Clemson the same times as both the same time as both of them. Sounds like Zach Alley was essentially Brent Venables' shadow there at Clemson, which if you're trying to climb the ladder in the coaching world on the defensive side of the ball, not a not a bad strategy. So yeah. this is a guy that is very, very familiar with the way that Venables not only wants to run a defense, but the way that he just operates on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's no more difficult place to be in coaching coming up than being Brent Venables' shadow. Incredibly demanding uh, at all times. You know, really just the pressure is always on to perform. And that's for, that's for coaches, for players, for everyone. So, um if he survived that and Venables is still wanting to bring him on, then you know, honestly, I think that tells you everything that you need to know about, about his capabilities. So I'm excited about it. I think that I think he's, he's going to add some in, in important stuff. I, I think that when you look at the recruiting aspect of our defense, I, it may be the best recruiting staff on one side of the ball or on the defensive side of the ball that we've had at Oklahoma as long as I can remember with Bates and Chavis, uh, obviously Venables chipping in there. Brandon Hall has, uh, well, he got big 12 recruiter of the year. I mean, he, they've done an amazing job on that side of the ball. And I think Zach Alley, like of all the things that he brings, that may end up being the most important. Yeah, what is he, 30? Young, yeah. I mean, he's younger than me. He's three yeah. years younger than me. Oh, my God, I'm so old. Look at this. But I think when you think about where college football is right now, it is becoming the, the demands on these guys' time. It, it's becoming more and more a young man's game. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like this is a guy that's got all the energy in the world. I've heard some really good things about the way that he's recorded, uh, recruited the portal there at Jacksonville state and the way that he has dealt with some of those guys. It is, it, it's going to be a very interesting transition going from Ted roof, you know, being the guy to lead the defense other than Venables, of course, but be, going from Ted roof who is 60 to a guy that's 30, but, I really think the big question with this hire is how does this change Brent Venables' role? Is this the start of him transitioning into more of a CEO-style head coach, which he's he's been part of staffs with some of the best CEO 
style head coaches in the history of the game, right? With Dabo, with Bob, even going back to Bill Snyder. So how, how do you think this changes what Venables wants to be as a head coach? Do you think him hiring Zach Alley, a young, energetic guy that has been with him, that was with him for a long time, that was running his defense at Jacksonville State, do you think this is Venables' attempt to try to become more of a CEO-style type of guy? Is he capable of that? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I, I think so. Near term, I don't think it's going to change. Long term, I'm open to that. Um, frankly, right now, I don't want it to change. I want Venables in tune, in charge of calling the defense. That's what I want. Um, that's why he got the job here, right? Um, you know, there's a time, I think, whenever you step away from that and it's whenever you have the right guys underneath and you can trust that and you can let go of it a little bit. But I don't want that right now, personally. I want him to continue to to run the defense now. I think Zach Alley, uh, because of their working relationship and how how you know similar they operate, that I it's almost the same thing. If that makes sense, you know, like there's going to be uh, such cohesion there. I would imagine that it's it's kind of the same thing. It's it's Venables by extension at some point. Um, now, when does that? really happen i don't know but uh, i personally don't want venables to relinquish control of the defense yet there may be a time for that but for me i that's why you hired him that's what got him to where he is and frankly our defense isn't to a position right now to where i think he is uh in a place where he would cut it loose but you know again as he has the right guys underneath and you know, his whole system is starting to operate that you want it the way you want it to. I think he will be able to to turn over more and more things to delegate more more of that to some of the other guys. I I completely agree with you. And one thing that I'm interested in seeing just how this whole thing functions is you're bringing him in. Clearly a huge transition to the SEC taking place but you also have all of your you know a ton of your veteran players back and your leaders back on defense so if you're going to start to give away a little control if you're venables on that side of the ball and you know focus more on you know the program as a whole the organization as a whole it really helps that you're going to have those veteran guys now we talk about it all the time you know, the best teams we've ever been a part of were player-driven. So 
you combine, you know, Stutzman being back, Bowman being back, a couple of those defensive linemen coming back, Ethan Downs, like you combine those guys being back and Zach Alley already being very f- familiar with the system, it feels like a good recipe for him to focus on other things that me- he may think need more attention. But I'm just going to have to see him be hands-off with the defense before I believe it. That's just, yeah. I- I've seen him operate one way for so long when I was on a team where he was the defensive coordinator, now as part of the radio broadcast the last couple of years. I just... He's so into it that it's just hard to imagine him being hands-off and just say, okay, yeah, Zach Kelly, you got it. You call it. I'm just going to stand over here and call timeouts when I need to and make some suggestions. That's just – it's nearly impossible for me to envision. I No, I totally agree. And that's why I don't think it's going to happen, at least not in the near term. Um I don't. I I think that this is a. I think this is a, ultimately a good move, um, for for a bunch of reasons, and, you know, I, honestly, I don't. All I know about Zach Alley is what I've heard, so it's hard to make like real, real, judgments on what may or may not happen in the future. But I know Brent Vittables trusts him enough to bring him in. I know he shadowed him for a long enough time to where. He's probably operates as Venables 2.0. And with time, that that gives you the uh, the reason to believe that he could start to give up some of that control at some point whenever he's comfortable with it, but not yet. Yeah, it's, it's just impossible to envision. But hey, maybe this is, this is the step. One thing I was thinking about, because it seems like the conversation is, can Zach Alley come in and take a lot of stuff off of Venables' plate on the defensive side of the ball? And, and I think that is, that's a more than valid discussion to have. But there's also, there's got to be something that Zach Alley did during their time together that impressed Brent Venables. But there, and it was seven years together. But to bring in a 30 year old to be your defensive coordinator, that tells me that Zach Alley left one hell of an impression on BV. And so that got me wondering you know, the, the question seems to be can he come in and do what Venables does? And I'm over here wondering what can he add to? elevate what they're doing defensively. I mean, Venables historically during the offseason, he goes and studies other defenses. Like he wants to learn. He's constantly trying to evolve his scheme and add things, especially when other people are having a lot of success doing something that maybe he doesn't do a lot of. So part of me wonders, does Zach Alley have some stuff that can elevate and add to what Venables has in place already because you get, I, I think the, the best systems in football right now, it's usually you're combining an older experienced guy. That's done a lot of innovative stuff through the years and blending it with some of these young, brilliant minds. 
right? And that's where you get some of these cutting edge systems that you see in college football and in the NFL. So I just wonder if Zach Alley, Zach Alley can come in and, and maybe add some interesting and effective wrinkles that we haven't seen over the last couple of years under Venables because he's got that base foundation of the Venables knowledge of defense, right? But you know how all these people are. Uh, I mean, he's made some tweaks here and there. He's going to have some fresh ideas that maybe could have this team even better on the defensive side of the ball, or at least that's what I'm hoping he does. Yeah. Well, it's all about, it's all about biases and influences, right? Um, I mean, it's kind of like on offense, every route has been run. Right. Pretty much every running play has been designed and and featured, but like who's biased towards one style and and who's influencing the play caller, and that's probably what I would I would suggest defensively. You know, you've got all these different tools in your in your toolbox with fronts and with coverages and with blitzes how are you influencing the play caller as to what direction the the program or the scheme should go? Um, you know, I, from what I've heard, I think Zach Alley maybe is, um, like likes the, the three man front style, kind of the Iowa state style defense. And we do that, um, a decent amount, not a ton, but we do it a decent amount. I mean, that could be one of the influences that you see is we end up doing a little more of, of that style defense with the three safeties and the, the three-man front. I don't know. I don't know what, what direction it's going to go. I mean, ultimately, a lot of that is going to depend on what your final roster looks like. You know, if you've got, you got a bunch of uh, guys up front that can rush the passer and get to the quarterback, well, you're probably going to be in a four-man front letting those guys go to work. Um, if that's more difficult, you probably end up playing more three-man stuff, or you know, you'll you'll just morph a little bit towards towards what it looks like and what you're best at. But he's going to have some type of influence over Venables in some direction. I just we'll just have to wait and see what that is, and kind of compare what they do in spring and uh, in early season next year to what we've seen in the past from Venables. Yeah, uh, I think we're. We're excited, right? I, I, I'm very interested. Spring ball's a bit away, but I'm interested to get out there and see if there are any just glaring noticeable differences on what they're doing defensively. But only time will tell as to what impact Zach Alley has as a recruiter, right? The expectation, kind of the reputation he has, young, energetic, like it's going to recruit at a very high level. Remember, Jacksonville State is in Alabama. Now he hasn't been recruiting the type of players there that that he'll be, you know, targeting as the defense coordinator at Oklahoma, but I'm sure he's developed some relationships down in that area of the country. That is extremely helpful, right? As OU transitions to the SEC. So only time will tell as to what type of recruiting impact he has, but seems like he already has a pretty dang good reputation of of being able to to impress some some guys on the recruiting trail. So we'll yeah. we'll see. That's another one. Well, you know, you won't know for a couple of years 
the type of guys he's able to bring in. Yeah, and you know, it's the same thing. Like recruiting isn't a whole lot different than how you operate in your position group in your in your position room. I mean, you have to find a, a way to relate to those guys as well. And the more you can relate to your own players, the more you can develop good relationships with those guys, the better success you're going to have out there on the field. And seeing that the age is is fairly close, you would think that they'd be able to do that. And I don't know. I'm, I'm anxious to see right away spring football's right around the corner already. Uh, I'm anxious to see what, what type of influence he's going to have over the players, coaching staff, all of that. It's going to be fun. No doubt about it. One other a staff change for the Sooners. Matt Wells, our guy, he's going to replace Colin Klein at Kansas State. He's going to be the co-offensive coordinator, the quarterback's coach there under Chris Kleiman. Ted, I'm not sure I've been around a more likable coach than Matt Wells. Yeah. A uh, guy is awesome. I will be openly cheering for Kansas State to do well next season, right? Especially now that OU's not in the Big 12 anymore. I got no problem. I will be, I will damn sure be cheered hard for Kansas State's offense to score a lot of points. And, and Matt was, he's a really important part of this staff the last couple of years. Essentially, when the offense was on the field a lot of the time, it seemed to be like he would take over as the head coach as Venables was drawing up stuff on the sideline with the defense and going through cards and, and, and drawing on the whiteboard. So he is, he's a guy that was, it was more involved this season and in, in what they were doing as far as practice goes and how they scheduled some of those things and approached some of that. So I, I'm really going to miss Matt Wells, an Oklahoma guy, Salisaw Black Diamond. He's just, he's one of the best, man. And I, I, I hope he goes and kills it there at K-State. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, like, that's that's one of the things that has to be at least considered. And, you know, you had you had Wells and you had Luttrell, two former head coaches, just kind of down there perusing the sideline with an eye over the, the entire, you know, situation, what's going on with the game and everything, uh, which afforded Venables, as you talked about, to be able to go over there and, and really dial in on what's happening with the defense you know, whenever they're off the field trying to make corrections and stuff. I'm curious, like, who's going to step into the, that role? Is someone going to step into that role? How is all that going to unfold? That's that's going to be interesting because that's – I think I, it doesn't feel like much, you know, whenever you've, you've had some – an analyst leave, but, you know, that could be – that's in a very important role. you got to have the right person there that understands the, this head coach to a degree and – is still able to uh, to keep everyone dialed in with what's going on. I'm I'm curious who steps into that role. Yeah, and one thing, Matt was he was excellent with like the rules. He was also excellent with talking to officials. He had a very very good way of being able. Not he didn't yell at him, but it, remember going back to his time at Tech, he knew all those Big Twelve officials and had known them for a while and. He was, he was always having conversations with them before the game, during the game, during timeouts. Like he, he was, he was always working that angle of things as well. So I, I'm gonna miss him, and I hope that he absolutely kills it there for Chris Kleiman. I think that's a good fit 
man. I I really do. So we'll see. We'll see what that what that offense ends up looking like. I believe they elevated their offensive line coach to co-coordinator as well. I would assume Matt's going to be calling it, but it's been a while since he's been a coordinator. So I'm sure he's excited about, uh, about getting back into the swing of things. Portal news, the portal giveth and the portal taketh Sooners with some interesting additions. Let's start with Miami, Ohio defensive in Caden Woolard. Woolard, Woolard. It's got to be Woolard, right? That's how I've understood it. So, okay. Yeah. Well, 6'5", 6'5", 250, had nine and a half sacks this season for Miami, Ohio. What do you, what do you think about this one, Ted? Well, I mean, the, the more guys you add that can get to the quarterback, the better. Has a big frame. Um, clearly has an understanding of how to get to the, get to the quarterback. We're going to need more and more of that. Um, you know, I'm I'm probably the same as most people whenever, you know, we, we were adding edge guys and I'm happy with that. Like the better we get there, I'm I'm thrilled. But I'm I'm kind of I'm waiting for the meat and potatoes, the guys on the inside. But uh, you know, we've got to continue to get better on in at getting to the quarterback without bringing a ton of pressure. And this is a big part of that. You got a guy that's you know, clearly able to get to the quarterback with nine and a half sacks, whether you're doing it from the edge or from from the interior, as long as you're getting to the quarterback, creating pressure, getting him to the ground, that's really all that matters. So we'll see. I mean, I I would like to see, I mean, we got to have a good mix of some of the young guys starting to come in, right? Big offseason for PJ. Um, obviously you still got some good experience there with downs and, and, and a couple other guys, but to me, it looks like a good addition and it's going to, at, at a minimum, make that position more competitive. Yeah. I went back and watched their game that they played. They played Miami in the opener and he, he had kind of a quiet day against Miami. Now Miami had some big dudes playing tackle and he looked a little undersized on the field with those guys. But you can tell, I, I was impressed with the way that he held up at the point in the run game. He displayed some good strength. And then uh, I went back and watched the the MAC championship game that they played against Toledo. And he was just an absolute force in that game. So I'm interested to see, you know, game in and game out in the SEC. How does he hold up? Right. Because there are there are some there are some clips where Dude displays some suddenness, displays speed to power. Like there's some stuff where I went, okay, yeah, I like what I'm seeing here, but it all comes down to can he do it week in and week out, taking a huge step up in the level of competition and the type of athletes that you're playing against. So I, I think there's there's some stuff to be excited about, but just the way that he looks on tape, I think he can add some more weight. Like he kind of looks long and lean, especially when you go and turn that Miami film on. So I wouldn't be surprised if when the season rolls around, he's playing at 260, 265. Even I, I know he's a veteran guy, but I don't know. It just looks like he could add more on his frame to me. We'll we'll see. But one one thing that he does really well, that dude plays hard. I mean, is sprinting to the football constantly. And I, I was, I really liked the motor he displayed, but 
do I expect him to come in and be a, you know, double digit sack guy or anything like that? Uh, no, that would surprise me. But I, I, I think it is you're adding a guy that was very productive at a lower level, and uh, I'm sure he's excited about the challenge as well. So interested to learn a little more about him and, and to see what he looks like initially once spring ball rolls around. Yeah. Well, if, if you know, one of the things that, that always translates and I know the competition you're stepping up, but I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. There's guys at all levels of football that can play. And I, if, if you got to get off, you've got suddenness, you've got some strength and, and you've got a, uh, a nice base of, of technique and, skills whether it's rushing the passer like whatever it is that you do all of that stuff should translate really well um now bigger faster stronger always that's always going to be um you know a huge emphasis but from from my history i've seen a lot of guys especially defensive line guys edge guys that if you've got the get off you've got the tools it'll translate yeah that's the thing cuz i was thinking okay could he have a Bothroyd type impact, which Bothroyd now statistically did not have a big year. He didn't have as good of a year statistically as I thought he was going to have, but he was a solid, consistent starter for this defense. And if you can get something like that from Willard, I think Willard's got more suddenness. I think he's more of a natural pass rusher than Bothroyd. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that he can bring more of that to it. And, I even saw there's quite a few snaps of him playing in a two-point stance. Kind of looks more of like an outside linebacker, stand-up type of guy rushing the passer. He looks good in that situation as well. So now my hope is that he can come in and just get some pressure on the quarterback because that's there, there is no doubt that this defense needs more of that. Right? You can never have too much of it, but this this defense needs some more guys that can go Maybe not. You're not racking up sacks all the time, but th this defense needs guys that can go hit the quarterback and make yep. him uncomfortable. So, 100%. so I think I uh, I'm interested to see if he can come in and be that type of player. Now, the other portal addition, offensive ta offensive tackle Michael Tarquin. Mm -hmm. Tarquin, what Tarquin. an interesting name, Tarquin. Uh, transfers from USC, uh, 6'5", about 300 pounds, started 20 games at Florida, and I believe 10 at left tackle, 10 at left guard, uh, started a bunch of games at right tackle for USC this season. And Ted, you may ask yourself, Gabe, did you go watch <laughs> entirely too many snaps of number 71 for USC this season? And the answer is, of course I did. My notes. Old plays multiple positions. There's always a ton of value in having a guy like that. This is where it gets, eh, you, you may not love this stuff. Struggled against Notre Dame. Struggled with the athleticism and speed they had on the edge. However, moves pretty well. Is fluid, looks athletic. His set is good. His problem is when he throws his punch, he turns his hips and gives a defensive lineman a two-way go. He shortens the corner. He is his own worst enemy in pass protection. He shortens the corner. 
himself. It's not the it's not the defender doing it. He's doing it to himself. I have faith that Bill Beanbow can get that right. Now, I think his position will be dependent on what the group looks like heading into spring ball. I, I don't think Bill views him as a tackle or as a guard right now. I think he's kind of views him as a utility guy that let, okay, let's see what the what the group looks like as a whole. And then let's put him somewhere to try to add depth. And of course, if if you're at Oklahoma, you always got a chance to start. You practice well, Bill will play you. I, I guarantee it. So he is, I, I don't think he exactly has one position that he's being brought in to fill. I, I don't think he's he's that type of player. Uh, he looks really good pulling. It doesn't lumber, very smooth out of the stance, uh, pulling on GT counter there at USC. They did some one uh, one back tackle power stuff where he's pulling around for an inside backer. Looks good. He needs to add more weight. Uh, looks and plays a little light. Now, one thing, the number one thing I like about him, he is very sudden coming off the ball in the run game. I mean, really attacks it quick out of his stance, good feet. He is, he's polished with his technique in the run game. He just needs to get better with his hand placement uh, he's got to learn to double under and lift guys. That is being both number one thing. He'll have that down after a couple of practices. Uh, he is more finesse than Mahler at this point. So Bill is going to try to make him a little meaner. I assume this is not a fun note, but uh, Latu, guy that was Pac-12, defensive player of the year, what I think he won the Lombardi, abused him. Oh, man, I felt. Now, he also may be the best edge player in the country, and he's going to be a first-round draft pick. But yeah. it, it it is what it is. So is this guy a plug-and-play starter? I That is not what I see on tape. Do I think Bill Beanbow will get his technique right, especially in pass protection? Uh, do I think he will improve it dramatically? Yes, I do. But he's also a guy who's... Played a lot of football. He played at Florida. He played at USC. Like he he knows what it's like to play at a program that has high standards. And I do think it's important to have older guys heading into the SEC. And he's a guy that, you know, if someone goes down or if he has to start a few games, like you, you know he's going to be comfortable having that responsibility from some of the conversations I've had about guys that have coached him very comfortable when it comes to digesting a game plan, understanding the system, that type of stuff, like the mental aspect of playing the off of playing offensive line. So I kind of view him as a utility depth piece. And if being Bo can get him to uh, really improve with some of the things, technically, maybe he ends up starting some games for you, but yeah, I was not, I just I, I I'm very honest when it comes to this stuff. I I was not wowed by him on tape, and I'll just say this: as guys either commit to OU or they're being connected to OU, and I go and watch them, it makes me realize that OU's offensive line was pretty good this year. Yeah, the, the OU's offensive line is better than a lot of OU fans think. I I I feel like and. There's a lot of bad offensive line play out there, man. I, watching USC's line, Caleb Williams deserves some type of medal. 
I mean, my good, it just, especially when they played quality defenses. Yeah. I mean, whew, there's some bad O-line play out there. And the more I've watched some of these other teams, especially outside of the Big 12, like that, I'm starting to appreciate what OU had along the offensive line this season more. Yeah. And, you know, and, and this is a conversation for another day. Because of that, it was a lot better on offensive line than maybe a lot of people recognize. That's why I'm worried about us at running back. Because yeah. it, our running game should have been vastly superior to what it was um, for the whole year this year. So we'll see. Uh, la- question I have for you. I know we don't know if he's going to play guard, tackle, what. Where do you see that? Where 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 do you think he would be the best? And maybe it's too early to tell for that. I just with looking at his frame currently, I'm not sure he's built for the interior. When you yeah. start thinking about who now, you're going to get all kinds of creatures across the line of scrimmage in the SEC. That's what differentiates that league, right? Mm-hmm. But. It seems to me he moves well enough to play tackle. Now, I I saw some clips of him playing left tackle at Florida as opposed to right tackle at USC. He he looked more comfortable at left tackle to me, but I I would assume in spring ball he's going to play all four, and I don't know if he can snap the ball or not. He may play all five, but he's kind of just generic offensive line size. Six four okay. and a half, six five. I I guarantee you they're going to want him to add weight. I mean, Schmidt is going to be on him to add at least I bet ten pounds to get in that three ten three fifteen range. But I think he moves well enough at tackle and hasn't. I, I mean, I was not overly impressed with him overall, but I do think with what I've seen from him so. So far, maybe tackle is is where you start him, but it yeah. comes down to, you know, what are what are your needs? I, I think he's a guy that's going to be playing both tackles and both guards. I think, I think he will be a swing lineman for them. I, so I I'd be surprised if he ends up being a starter. Yeah, that's that's kind of what what my initial thoughts are, but we'll see. You never know, and. You get into the right system, get the right coaching, surrounded by the right people. You can have a guy take off. So, cautiously optimistic with uh, with Tarquin. We'll see. That's where I'm at as well. I feel like I'm hard on the portal guys when I go and watch them. I don't know, but it's just do do not go watch the UCLA game if you want to be excited <laughs> about this guy. I'm just telling you right now, ladies and gentlemen, don't do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. All yeah. right. Good. All right, let's preview the national championship game with our buddy Cole Kublik. Oh, almost forgot. Call your shot. I remembered. I remembered people that could have been good save. I saved it. All right, we asked you guys the most important thing that happened this weekend for Oklahoma football. This one comes from Chris Rich, eighty-eight. He says taking the next step with a DC more familiar with BV, his system, and the culture. I was a big fan of Coach Roof but having a younger guy should help with relating with recruits. Exciting times. That's 
that's a good way of looking. I, I think a lot of people are excited about the infusion of youth with Zach Alley. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's right. I think that's what most people uh, see. I, I think that that comment there really sums it all up. Now, I did notice out there that there were people that were, oh, we should hire this guy or we should hire that guy. You're, this is not a defensive coordinator hire. That's not what it is. This is a guy that's coming into, he's going to coach the linebackers. He's going, I mean, he's going to be the DC, but he's going to be, it's going to be Brent Venable's defense for the time being. It's not like, it's not a traditional coordinator hire where you're hiring a guy, he's coming in, he's installing his system and off you go. That's not what this hire is. And there were people out there that were asking for that. That is not what you want right now. You want continuity. They've been in this exact scheme for two years. This is going to be year number three. You've got experienced guys that are going to be in a bunch of positions at all levels of defense. This is not the time to go wholesale changing things and having a new coordinator that's going to call a totally different defense. That's not what this hire is. Yeah. And I think Zach Alley's his ability to already know the language, speak the language of Venable's defense. Uh, I think, I think there's a lot of value in that. All right. This other one comes from Logan Parsons. I love the way that he puts it. He says, it's always nice when the portal giveth more than it taketh. <laughs> and that's true. We have not seen you, know, you think about other, other than Caden green, right? That has been the one true significant loss that this program has had via the transfer portal. Other than that, I, I think that Venables and the staff, they got to be very pleased with how many significant contributors they've been able to retain. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm with our man, Logan, like that's, it appears that that culture that Venables talks so much about it. It appears that it has been effective. And that thing has taken root, took root. I don't know. I don't know how to say that there, but it, it feels like it's working. Yeah, I no, I agree. And, um, I don't think we're done bringing guys in, um, especially on the offensive line. I think there's still uh, offensive and defensive line, still uh, a couple of irons in the fire out there that, that they may try and bring in. So we'll see. I think it's been so far decent. I hadn't blown your shoes off. I think we've got some, some guys that could definitely contribute um, in this coming season. And, and who knows what those ceilings are on those guys could be pretty good. No doubt about it. All right, let's preview the national championship game with our buddy, Cole Kublik. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Love's Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Love's Travel Stops. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Amore. 
and celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coop Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with an ice-cold beer from Coop Ale Works. You can enjoy it at the Palace on the Prairie, at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit schoonerale.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. And Simple Modern is an Oklahoma drinkware company founded by OU grads. They have fantastic products, and that's why they've found tremendous success selling the products at Target, Walmart, Amazon, and SimpleModern.com. I use Simple Modern Cups. My wife uses Simple Modern Cups. My kids use Simple Modern Cups. Their products are for the whole family. Also, if you are a small business owner looking for some marketing swag for current and future customers, they make excellent customized products. Check all of it out at simplemodern.com. All right, here's our buddy Cole Kublet. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the hardest working men in all of sports media. You got to check out his podcast, Cube Show, radio show, Mac and Cube on WJOX. 945 there in Bama. Dude, you are ESPN, SEC Network. You're everywhere. Mega cast on the playoff game. Look at you go, <laughs> Cole Kublik. Let's go, man. What's up? We're trying. Doing great. How are you guys? Can't complain. It's been a, it's been a good playoff so far, man. It's uh I feel like it was the four best teams, maybe not best, evenly matched, uh, two really good semifinals and left us with a, a good championship game no I, I think we get the real contrast of style game here for the national championship with a team in washington that can throw the ball around that has just weapons everywhere uh a lot of fun to watch big time quarterback and multiple nfl receivers it's uh not as good defensively and then michigan a team super stingy on defense uh gonna match the physicality of just about anybody they play and a little more conservative offensively. But one of the things that I thought Michigan did really well against Alabama was find that creativity on offense. And it was it was one of my complaints going in. So one of the main reasons I, I picked Alabama to win that game was that the things that had given the Alabama defense issues were creativity. So motions, formations, RPOs, fakes. And Michigan found some more of those. And they had, I think, all season based on what I've watched. So – Interested to see what Shrow Moore feels like they need to do in this game against Washington. Can they just go right at them? Can they be a little more vanilla and just kind of run what they've run all year, or do they need to stay as creative as they were against Alabama? Do you think looking at that really good Michigan defense uh, against Michael Penix in the Washington offense, I, I think that's where the game's going to be decided. Do you think Michigan can limit Penix – and that elite wide receiver core, that passing attack. I think they can limit them, but what is what what is what is limiting this group? Is it is it twenty eight points, twenty four points, thirty one points? I mean, I almost feel like Washington can get twenty one, twenty four by default, and Michigan have a pretty good day. I mean, you get Romo Dunze, you know, one on one two times, that could be two big touchdowns, easy. Um, you know, you get you know Penix gets a scramble drill. Um, you know, hits West over over the middle of the field, that could be another touchdown, no problem. So 
I, I don't I think they can they can slow him down to an extent, Gabe, but I just there are too many weapons on this Washington offense. And uh, we don't know what the status of Dylan Johnson is gonna be. I think that could be a mammoth issue if he's not able to go because he's really been the hammer for that team down the stretch. He's added a little more physicality than what they've had. And you know, he's he's been exceptional with what they've asked him to do the last four or five games of the season. And I I just don't know if there's anything you can focus on and take away because Jack Westover can hurt you at tight end. You have multiple receivers that can hurt you on different sides of the ball. Penix, and they you know, I asked Ryan Grow about it after the game. I was like, where are these quarterback runs been? You've been saving those up. And he kind of laughed and he said, you know, we've had them for a while, but you know, once they once they started taking away some of our gap scheme stuff on the outside, I, I started calling him a little bit more. And we we knew he had the capability to do it. And he said it just kind of presented itself in this game. So you got it now you have that that you have to defend as well. And not to mention Grubb is going to formation you, motion you, shift, trade. He gives you everything, literally, all of it. Then they can go tempo, they can go a little bit faster. So they really do make you defend everything and I just I wonder even as good as that Michigan defense is you know how much of it what are the things they can focus on and try to eliminate that would really slow that offense down I just I just think that they are too versatile to be able to completely shut that group down so does that does that leave you thinking that maybe Michigan use their advantage on the line of scrimmage try and play keep away as much as they can I would I I think I think you will not see Michigan be as aggressive up front, Teddy. I don't I don't know why they would show as much, do as much at the line of scrimmage against this group. Let's just be honest. This is a much more dangerous group out wide than what Alabama brings to the table. So I think you can be aggressive. You could show five, six down at a time and generate your simulated pressures that way or just overload and bring guys as they did a couple of times against Alabama. With this group, I think you probably need more assistance on the back end. And you weren't really worried about Alabama receivers, tight ends, and a lot of one-on-ones just creating explosive plays. This group will do that. So I would imagine that the Michigan front tries to play a little more straight up, maybe even tries to play lighter in the box early on and try to take away some of the stuff on the perimeter. I mean, Penix has over 2,200 yards outside the numbers this year. So he's going to make that – he's going to widen you out. He's going to put your safety – you're going to have to play deep and back. Does that mean nickel outside linebackers are, are playing a little bit closer to the sideline? Do you widen your ends a little bit? I mean, they can they can change the way you defend them in a lot of ways. I would think that they want those numbers to help more on the back end than they do up front, and then they can they can alter that if they need. The other part about it is when when I when I watch the Alabama offense, a lot of confusion with pass pro. Now there are, there are a couple of just straight wins by Michigan defenders. I, I won't say that there weren't, but. A lot of that was caused by confusion and guys turn loose and you're bringing it back across the line of scrimmage to take on a linebacker that just, you know, has a six yard head start. That's it's not a favorable matchup for the back. You have a guard that busts an assignment. You have slide protection that falls apart time and time again. I don't think you'll get that same kind of confusion from Washington. They're not as reliant on quick and slide protection and play action protection as Alabama is. Um, they can, take what I reference as professional pass sets and utilize professional protection where they'll just man it up and they'll just, they'll take five in front of them and the five of them will try to block them. Now it doesn't mean that they can't win some of those matchups. I just don't think that they're going to get as much based on confusion as what they did against Alabama. So yeah, I, I think it's trying to maintain possession and then 
you know, try to force Washington to work their way down the field. Don't give up those big plays over the top that they've had in just about every game they've played in. You're an O-line guy. Well, when you look at Washington's group and you look at Michigan's group, who do you think has the better O-line in the national championship game? I still think it's Washington because they're a little more versatile. Uh, Michigan's still a little bit dinged up. They did a great job on first down in this game, something they had to do. And and that was to keep J.J. McCarthy out of harm's way. They also utilized tight ends overloads to be able to take away Chris Braswell, Dallas Turner off the edge, just teeing off because they weren't going to have success against that. They've had a tackle problem for about a month. Well, they avoided the situations in which that can be most detrimental in that game. So I, I love the versatility of what this Washington group brings, whether it's out in space, pass protection, working together as a unit. Not to say that this Michigan group is is not good. They are. But I think they win with more just brute force physicality. They do have a good understanding of how to operate as one, but they've had a lot of injuries. A lot of guys had to move around. I mean, Zach Zinner was their best player, and he's obviously going to be gone. But they're a solid, solid group. And I'll be interested to see how Washington plays it defensively, too, because they're they're not the best run-fit team. Uh, but I do think when they when they sort of move guys around and not sit stationary, that they can cause some problems. I mean, Braylon Trice was unblockable against Texas. He looked unbelievable. So, um, but I would still lean Washington just based on what they can do individually in pass pro, what they can do in the run game, how they get out in space, how they finish. It's been they've been I think the best team in the nation, the best group in the nation to watch for a longer period of time this year. Now, you, you got a couple of good quarterbacks, uh, you know, McCarthy. The styles are, are totally different with what they do offensively. Um, I think there's a big advantage to to Washington and to Penix, but I don't even know. Do you think Penix gets enough credit for how good he is? I mean, I know everyone recognizes it, but he's incredible. And I, I don't know. I feel like there, he – for a guy that's got the record he does over the last two years, he's found himself in a national championship game. I don't know. For whatever reason, I feel like he doesn't get celebrated like some other quarterbacks that have been in this position. And he, he hasn't really been that media darling. And I think there's zero doubt in my mind that based on his accuracy, how he manages things, uh, that he he definitely doesn't get enough credit. The other part, Teddy, is he's he's twice the human as he is a football player. And the, a lot of that, when I say that, has to do with the teammate that he is also, to his teammates, to the guys around him. Uh, they love him. And I had him in the Alamo Bowl last year, and I'm sitting up on at the luncheon, sitting up on the the, the stage with Kalen DeBoer, and Kalen's telling me just how mad all the other players on the team were that he wasn't going to New York uh, for, the, for the Heisman. And that they took that personal, but like not Mike, but the rest of the guys took it personal. So there's just a uh, there's a different there's it's a different room when when you're talking about that offense and how they work with each other and how they care about each other, but his accuracy is off the charts. And he he attempts throws and completes a lot of them that most guys would never even consider letting loose. There's just no way. And like I said, outside the numbers, down the field, quick throws, arm angles, you know, getting the ball out in a hurry. It was really cool doing the game, the mega cast with Colt McCoy who obviously played quarterback at a high level and had never seen him in person. And just to hear him consistently, man, I can't believe how quick that ball comes out. I can't believe how effortless his throws down the field look. He just flips his wrist and it's 50 yards downfield. And the accuracy to hear a guy that has that level of quarterback acumen 
sort of gush over the things that he was doing in that game. And let's be real, he's done it most of the year. That was a great game. He did some amazing things, but he's done amazing things all year. He did amazing things last year. So I don't know if it's West Coast, if it's just Washington, if it's guys not paying enough attention, whatever it is, there's no way he gets enough credit. He definitely deserves more. Yeah, I think he's been I think he's been phenomenal. And I think I'm not sure how many people have watched many Washington games this year, but I think a lot of people saw him maybe for the first time in the semifinal and went, whoa, yeah. look at this <laughs> yeah. guy. Now, Colt, every time I talk to you about a game you're going to call, you always have matchups, right? key matchups that you're looking at. When you look at the national title game, what what are some of the key matchups that you think can really decide – uh, who walks out of there as the national champion? I think it's the interior of both defensive lines. Because if, if you if you watch what happened to Washington last week, and I think if there is a portion of that O-line that's a little bit gettable, it's, it's inside. Um, mainly right guard and center because they're a little bit lighter and they're just not as physical and physically imposing as maybe left guard, left tackle are. Um, and Byron Murphy got him a few times, but Byron Murphy is going to be a good pro for a long time too. I mean, it's, it's not like this was, you know, some guy that is, is done playing football and he just happened to have a great game. He's going to have a great NFL career. And then on the flip side of that, just this Michigan front has been really good and they're really good inside. So going back to what we said earlier, I, I think they're, there's a possibility that those guys could win some one-on-ones inside and be a problem. Now, Washington negates that. It's a huge advantage to what they want to do offensively. And then uh, when you when you flip the ball around, you know, this is a Michigan offense that is – they're still going to try to run the ball. Now, they might do it by overloading one side. They might have an extra tackle in the game. They might have three tight ends in the game. Um, as they did against Alabama, you may add a jet motion or two here and there. There could be more designed quarterback runs, which I thought were going to be big last week against Bama. They could have some of those, add a gap and a blocker. It's fine. But I think up front, the Washington defensive line, not very deep, specifically inside. How does that group hold up? Does Michigan then figure out that they can run the ball between the tackles and have success, which is obviously going to make life a lot different for a lot of people. So I really do think that when you look in between the tackles, both of those defensive lines there are going to be key in this game. Um, you just go back to just what they're capable of doing and then what they've done. It's been a little up and down for both groups and then who they're going up against that they, they've offset it well at times. So if Washington handles that group and I mean, even when Penix couldn't step up and make throws or had to step left or right last week, he was still completing passes. It was one of the things Ocho said on our broadcast. He's like, he goes, you got to get him off his spot. You got to get him off his spot. And I kind of countered that with, I was like, but they've been getting him off of his spot and he finds a new spot and then he's completing the pass. So he's just changing the spot. He's just changing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Teddy, Teddy obviously did in college, but you and I played defense at some point in our lives. Like we know how frustrating that is to win, get to the backfield, feel like you've got everything made and you're going to make this huge play. And then 20 yards down the field, there's a completion because you whiffed and the guy makes, makes a throw. So you know, I, I think I think they have to – I think you have to affect Penix in different ways. Try to bat ball downs, uh, like Ocho said, try to make him move, make him uncomfortable, get hits on him. And I think 
they have a very good chance for more of that coming inside than they do outside because both tackles are really good for Washington. And then he likes to stay in the pocket. He doesn't like to move. His completion percentage goes down to like 41 when he's outside the pocket. So he likes to stay at home and step up and and deliver throws that way. So I really do think the interior of both these defensive lines are probably going to have a large say in who wins this football game. Now, maybe this matters, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, over the last, gosh, several years, we've had – it's been a rotation of kind of the same programs – Right in the, in the national title game, but now we've got we've got two staffs, two teams full of rosters that haven't been here, and it's different. Right there, there's there's a lot going on surrounding the game. The preparation is different. You know there can be um, you know teams can get antsy early on, and maybe guys try and go above what they need to do to to try and make a special play. Is there an edge one way or the other, in your opinion, just like uh, one team able to handle the environment and the situation better? Well, I don't know if there would be an edge one direction or the other, Teddy, but I do think they both have the ability to to handle it in different ways. Uh, Number one, this Washington team is just that they're an older team. They're a veteran team. They're a mature football team. And, I mean, you guys played. You know this. There, There are teams that seem to have it. And oftentimes we don't really know what it is. Sometimes you go 2010 Auburn, like Cam Newton was it. But you didn't have to say like, oh, there's this magic that happens or whatever. Like they just had a guy that could either run the ball, throw the ball, and he caught a touchdown against Kentucky. Like whatever has to happen, he'll go do it. But there are certain teams that just, you know, TCU last year was kind of one of those teams for a large majority of the season. Some people say Washington is that team this year because of the one score games, you know, like, I didn't bang on TCU last year because they trailed in the fourth quarter, whatever, five or seven times, and people got mad at them. Like, you guys know like I do, it's hard as hell to be down in the fourth quarter and then win a game. It's it's hard to be up three or up seven in the fourth quarter and win a game because you pretty much have to play perfect football at that point. You make big mistakes, and the team obviously is competitive or good enough to be in the game. they usually going to take advantage of that. So – I think with Washington, I asked Kalen about it, too, in in New Orleans. I said, it it seems like there's an it factor with this team, but if you were to try to put your finger on it, what would you say it is with this group? And he said confidence. And he said, we we harp on it in the offseason. We talk about it during the season. We talk about it at practice. We give guys reasons to be confident in what we are doing. And it it is a focal point 365 days a year. He said, so I truly believe When the lights are shining the brightest, that's why our kids play their best, because they're confident in each other and they're confident in what we do and what we're doing. On the Michigan side of that, they've had every distraction possible this year. I mean, all of them, whether it's key player injuries, whether it is, you know, people banging on their strength of schedule, quarterback not having to go out and win games with his arm, uh, head coach getting suspended, the sign-stealing deal, like, you know, no one's ever – I mean, if they go in this thing Monday night, no one's going to give them credit for winning it because they're still going to point back to Connor Stallions and that whole thing and whatever. But they've just – they've handled so much other BS that I find it very difficult to think that this is not a mentally tough football team. They have, they have to be to be where they are right now. So – and I think you would probably say Michigan has a little bit of an advantage having at least been in the playoff the last two years. So they've been on a similar stage – and have an understanding of just what the pressure is like and going to be like than maybe what Washington does. But 
I, I think both these teams mentally, emotionally, their their makeup is, is probably going to be just fine in this game. All right. How do you see it going? Who you got? I think if you went just on film, just on scheme, just on players, you'd probably take Michigan in this game. Um, I think that would probably be the safer bet uh, just because of what they do, how they can be problematic, and then what you need to be to be able to counter that or stop that. But I'll go back to it again, and I I said it in the Pac-12 championship game when they were a double-digit dog. Uh, I didn't understand it. I didn't see how or why. Um, and I said, I'm, I've gone against them all year. I picked them to go to the playoff. I'm not going to go against them now. And then, you know, in this last game against Texas, I just, I know it's not super analytical and it's not really what I get paid for, but I just think that there's something about this team. And again, I don't get mad at a team for winning eight straight one score games. That's hard as hell to do. And they've done that. Um, the distribution of the football to playmakers and how they can, how they can alter that. Uh, they don't have a great defense top to bottom, but I do think they have guys that are good enough to step up and make plays when need be. And I do think they're bigger and a little more physical up front than they get credit for, which is why they might not have as much of a problem against this Michigan offensive line and, and group of tight ends and running backs. Um, so I'm just not going to go against Washington. I think I think Penix has got something special going. I think Grubb and Kalen both kind of are just in a rhythm right now have a really good understanding of, of how to how to manage things, get things done. Um, I think I don't think if they if they don't muff that punt, I think it was what was it early second quarter, whatever it was. Like I think they walk away from Texas in that game. I think they blow them out. Uh, that gave Texas life. That let them hang in. That gave them some confidence going into the half. But I just I think this offense is too high powered. I think the coaching staffs are too good. Too many veteran players. Uh, I'm going to go Washington and. I think it could be a lower scoring game than some people believe, but that'd probably be okay for Washington because like I said, I think they they probably think by default they can get three or four touchdowns in this game. Yeah. Well, if Michigan wins, does Ohio State assassinate Jim Harbaugh in the offseason? I don't think they're gonna have to because he's gonna go to the NFL. He's gone. Um, yeah. So they're not they're gonna have to worry about it unless he goes to coach you know, the Steelers or the Bengals. And then, um, you know, all the Cleveland fans will be upset. So I, I don't – I don't you think – I think, think this will be – He's gone? I think he's gone no matter what, Teddy. I think this is his – I think this will be the last game that he coaches in college, not just at Michigan. That's my opinion. But you don't, you don't have people coming at you the way that he has and have to deal with the things that he has and – are going to have the opportunity in front of you to go coach in the NFL like he's going to and stick around. I just don't think I don't think that happens. So I I think he's I think he's done. This will be his last game at Michigan either way. Interesting. All right. One more and we'll let you get out of here, man. You were you were on the call for ESPN for the Alamo Bowl. Uh you got to see OU in, in person. I'm just curious what what were your main takeaways from what you saw uh, from Venables and, and from you know the players that on, on OU's team? I'll, I'll start with Venables because I had I haven't spent much time with him personally. No, just to be honest with you, and he gave us probably 45, 50 minutes. He was very gracious with his time and hearing him talk about the program, 
collectively, you know, in its totality, top to bottom, managing everything. I came away really impressed with him and just sort of his feel for how things need to get and stay where they need to be. Um, and they've come a long way in, in just two seasons. It's hard to really say the product on the field because I mean, you got guys that are in the portal that are playing. You have guys that have left to go prepare for the NFL and because they're in the portal. Um, so that part was a little bit difficult to judge specifically on offense because yes, you have a quarterback that is, I'll say like Jackson's got all the ability in the world. You can see it. You can just see, as the game went on, and, and Venables kind of said this at halftime, like, because I asked him, I was like, are we watching this kid grow up in front of our eyes? And he said, well, you can absolutely see his confidence growing. Like, you can see him being more comfortable, getting to a little better of a rhythm. And just the way that he started to set up, um, how quickly he would deliver the football. I mean, he threw a couple picks. Like, it's, it's going to happen. He's young. And, you know, he's he's obviously not afraid to go out there and try to do things, which is what you want from your quarterback. So I think at that position, they're going to be fine. A um, little concerned about the offensive line, just with so many guys out and so many guys that are not going to be bad. You just – you got to have depth at that position. I mean, you know that, Gabe, like I do. So what's – maybe not even what's the first group going to look like, but what's the next group going to look like if first group guys banged up or doesn't do what he needs to do, anything like that. So that was a little concerning. But, I, I mean, I love I love how aggressive the defense is. I love how they did some different things to be able to find pressure. Uh, you know, they gave Fafita some issues, and that has happened a lot this year. And I know they didn't have Jordan Morgan at left tackle, but that's still a pretty good offensive line, and they were able to consistently get in the backfield, uh, negate the run, um, and then get to the quarterback some. It just had – they – they made they had the explosive plays. I mean, T Mac and those guys are people don't realize it and don't know it, but that Arizona team is a really good football team, and probably one of the coolest teams to even talk about this entire season. So, like I talk about Washington and what they have going on, like that Arizona locker room's got some like out of this world going on. It's unbelievable just how tight knit they are, close they are, like just the care they have for one another. It's wild. But I love what I saw at quarterback skill position. I don't think is going to be an issue. Um, up front on defense, the ability to wreak havoc, I think is something that you saw flashes of that, that I feel like are real positive. And you got you got some of your best players coming back on that side of the ball. I mean, you got an, you got an edge rusher that's going to, I think, blossom into being a really good player, a safety that's going to be awesome, and you know, a linebacker that's going to be one of the best in the SEC next year. So there, there's a lot of the foundational aspect of what Oklahoma is going to have going into next year that I think fans should feel pretty good about. And how about the fact that you just – I mean, we we lose our offensive coordinator. We just, like, fall into Seth Luttrell. I mean, sure. that's pretty damn impressive right there. I mean, just, hey, bring in former head coach, great play caller, like, just sitting there waiting in the wings. Like, that's a pretty good place to be. Like, somebody's living right when that happens to you. Well, you're the man. You are – you're the hardest-working guy in the business, dude, and you do a fantastic job. I've been tuning into Cube Show. You having fun with it? It's been great, man. It has been fun. It's you're gonna um, overtake pay in no time. Your oh, numbers, you're gonna overtake viewership numbers, you're gonna skyrocket past them. It's just a matter of time. Oh yeah. I think our I think our um national champion our college football playoff preview did like eight hundred views. We are we are on our way to just smashing his hundred and eighty thousand <laughs> views per show that he does. So yeah, we'll get there one one decade or seven from now. We'll figure <laughs> it out. So yeah. 
We're trying. Oh, We're working on it. But hey, listen. The the reason we started the show is on Sundays, watch the film of all the SEC teams and then talk about what happened. And then we just kind of BS our way through the offseason. But for Oklahoma fans, and I'm I'm just gonna be honest with you, it probably is not gonna be able to stay on Monday next year or Sunday next year, because that's just it's adding two more games every week is gonna be damn near impossible. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the games and go through the film and let you know what we saw each and every week. And I don't feel like anybody else is doing it that way. So that's um, one thing Pate can't say he, he can do. He ain't grinding on the tape. I can tell you that. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. No. That's why That's why you're my favorite. Cole, hey, man, appreciate the time. It's always fun catching up and should be a fun national title game. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me. Cole's the best. The guy, the guy watches a lot of tape, as you can tell. Yeah, I, and I love the way he talks about ball. Um, um, very uh, call it as you see it with them. Uh, awesome stuff as always. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, all right, all you grill masters, listen up. Didier Ranch delivers premium quality beef that is 100% raised in Oklahoma right to your front door. Go to D-I-D-I-E-R ranch.com to order one of their premium quality beef boxes, filet, ribeye, New York strip, sirloin, steak burgers. They've got it all, and they ship anywhere in the continental U.S., and Oklahomans can get deliveries in just one to two days. The only thing better than having a lot of premium beef on the O-line and D-line is having some premium beef delivered right to your front door. Didier Ranch, tradition tastes better. And John Vance Auto Group has a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. Tell them we sent you, and they'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this silly podcast of ours. They've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years. They're family-owned and operated, and no matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game, and with all the garage locations being open to 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. As always, Ted, kicks off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? OU men's hoops getting off to uh, a good start in conference play. Iowa State, pretty good basketball team. I was talking with T-Row before the game. I didn't know much about them. Elite defensive team. Um, Just an all-around good performance from Oklahoma. Um, They continue to shoot the three ball well. What were they, somewhere around 40% or something uh, for the night. Iowa State pushed it there a little bit late, but ultimately Oklahoma able to separate. Good conference win. I think that was it, it was an encouraging way for them to start conference play. Now, there are going to be tougher tests than Iowa State. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we all know that 
when, when you start thinking about Kansas, Houston, Baylor, some of these teams that have more overall talent than what the Cyclones have. But what I did like was the way that OU finished the game. Yeah. I mean, Iowa State took the lead the with five minutes. Yeah. I mean, four and a half or so. Uh, I mean, OU was down and they finished it in dominant fashion, really going away. So I was really encouraged that when things, you know, when things got tight, they played well. Uh, there's, I mean, that's extremely valuable that because they're going to be in a bunch of close games yeah. in conference play. And I was, I was excited to see how they responded in this first one. When it got tight, they seemed to play their best basketball of the entire night, which hell yeah, let's go. Love that. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was good. I thought you got some good minutes off the bench from some guys. Uh, again, shot the three ball well. Dart hard yeah. was huge. Yeah. Yeah. What do you get? those shots uh, late? He was huge. Yeah. He hit, hit two or three big time threes for him. So McCollum, um, like not his most efficient outing, but still was the uh, leading scorer for Oklahoma. Have 15. He continues to be really good. And I think, you know, just defensively, Iowa State's going to make things difficult on you and everyone in this conference is. But, um, I, I still I like that we're able to pick up a good conference win, and you probably you didn't get the best that you're going to get out of McCollum on a night in night out basis. Yeah, and I, everyone I did else not was able to kind of pick up the slack. Yeah, I didn't think Oway played particularly well for him. Just kind of a very quiet night for him. I think he ended up with eight points, or but he had one point for a long time in that game, and just all free throws. Yeah. He just did not he did not have the type of impact that I, I think he typically has, but you're able to overcome some of that stuff and finish the game strong and start conference playoff on the right foot. Uh, I think Porter Moser, I think he'll take it, man. One and oh in conference play. Let's go. Yeah, and just you know, I didn't watch all of them, but was able to dabble around the conference and watching some basketball. It's gonna be as expected. It's going to be really tough. You know, you got some really good teams. Obviously, Kansas, Houston, and uh, well, everyone B is. BYU is ranked like 12th in the country. Do you see what happened in their conference opener? Crazy. Cincinnati with their beat them. I mean, yeah. so it is. Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be a really fun year of Big 12 basketball. And I've said this a lot already in the last couple of weeks, but this is ex as excited as I've been to watch OU basketball in, in quite some time. So I was I was fired up that they finished that game the way that they did, and uh, I think it's going to be a really fun season in the Big 12. Totally agree. They're going to they're going to knock some people off, man. You, I know. If you get if you get that team on the wrong night, if you get them on a night where McCollum is just cooking, they're going to knock some people off, I'm telling you right now. Now they're also going to lose some games that are going to make us really upset. But that's so goes life in the Big 12 at hoops. That's right, man. Last opportunity, at least for the foreseeable future, to go up to Fog Allen to be able to pull that out would be uh would be pretty amazing. Uh yeah. That amazing. Hey, weirder things have happened. Yeah. All right, yeah. who do you who do you have? Wow. I mean, the jet yeah. lag is starting to starting to come and play here. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've got enough caffeine in my veins right now to kill a small horse. I'm just uh, telling you right it. now. But who do you have as your loser of the weekend? I got to go with Texas. Now, obviously, they had a hell of a season, made a college football playoff, um, able to capitalize on, you know, a really good roster with some some critical players. But, you know, one of the last like names that you were waiting to see what was going to happen with them, Jatavian Sanders is declaring for the for the draft. So what may have been, you know, the it, at least one of the best collection of skill position groups, uh, skill position players in college football is no more. Brooks to the league, Jatavian Sanders to the lead, Worthy to the league, uh, Whittington to the league. They're losing all of those guys. Now, they've got a good roster. They've recruited really well. But, I mean, I'm curious to see how they respond to that because I still, um, you know, I, I think Quinn Ewers is is a solid quarterback. I don't think he's great. And I think one of the reasons he was as effective as he was is because of how great that skill position group was. And I don't know how good he is as they don't find a way to replicate that. I feel like they could struggle offensively next year. Yeah, it feels what's going on with Texas's offense. It feels like the exact opposite of what's happening with OU's defense. Mm-hmm. Where you are, and, and you look at the schedule right now, Texas's schedule looks much easier than OU's next season. Now we'll see who ends up being really good in the SEC and who isn't. But it feels like they missed their opportunity. It yeah. feels like it was there for them. And now I thought Washington was undoubtedly the better team in that game. But you go back and look at it, multiple plays, you're throwing it in the end zone to go to the national title game. And now all those guys that were a huge reason why, like they're all moving on. Which it yeah. makes sense. I saw Byron Murphy. Right? I, I thought he was probably their best player in that game. He's he's declaring. So, while it feels like OU's got a lot of those veteran guys back for that first SEC season, SEC season Texas is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Now, you mentioned it. They've recruited at a high level. And clearly, Sark and that staff, they've done a better job of developing players. I mean, there's just... There's no doubt, but it's hard to bounce back when you're losing those type of impact players. So we'll, we'll see, but yeah, you had, you were one play away from going and playing in a national title game against Michigan. And, and now you are going to a new conference and kind of hitting reset, especially on the offensive side of the ball with the guys that were making yeah. most of the plays for you. Yeah, and you've got you've got another transfer portal window, but that's kind of one of the negatives about playing in the playoff is you get so late in the game with the transfer portal stuff and you know a lot of the you don't get as much opportunity to to vet some of those guys maybe as, as some of the other schools, but they'll be fine. It's just how quickly can they get back to the same level and Maybe they even have a quarterback battle or something there. I don't know. Has there been 
and, and I know that you and I both get a little annoyed about the uh, we're coming back announcements. Would you, but has there been anything official with yours? I guess that's a good point. I, I haven't seen anything, but like, would it shock me when, when you think about it from his perspective? All the guys, all the most talented guys around him are leaving. So what happens if he looks at that situation and goes, you know what? No Sanders, no wor- no Worthy, no Brooks. The offensive line, you know, you're going to have to replace a couple guys, I'm sure. Once if he looks around and goes, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm not so sure next season is going to go that well for me. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's something to think about I, for sure. I don't know. I I haven't seen anything with him saying I'm a, like I'm officially coming back next season. Now maybe he doesn't say anything at all and he just comes back like people used to back in the day. <laughs> but I I'm sure he's all these guys declaring for the draft. I'm sure it's got him thinking about whether or not coming back for another season is the best choice for him, especially with some of the injury issues he's had. I, I don't know. It's just something to keep an eye on. And it's crazy that, that the people around you, right? Family and whoever has a little bit of influence over you, who you talk to on a day-to-day basis, they're going to be saying the same thing to him. You know, it's, it's, it's turned into that, that style of, of, of off season where how are you going to put, yourself in the best position it's not so much about your team or anything it's like it's totally turned into a an individualized situation here for a lot of football players and um that's just that's just the nature of the of the day and age that we're in man yeah now maybe quinn ewers is hard at work and other guys dms trying to get him to come play at texas next year yeah i'm we'll see but yeah Longhorns, they're one play away, man. And now a lot of a lot of impact players moving on to the next level. Those guys could play. They, they yep. could. So be interesting to see what it looks like next year for them. All right, let's finish up with my winner and loser. But first. Elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that will give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top-of-the-line heaters to keep you warm during those cold tailgates later in the season. Oklahoma owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A. And head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. That's opolisclothing.com, 
Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. All right, for my winner of the weekend, thought about going with Will Howard. It was only a couple years ago we were saying that he should move to tight end, and now it's likely that he's going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. How crazy is that? I, 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 I think Will Howard obviously did some really good things, closed up the the 22 season in a nice way, had some really nice moments in 23, probably didn't go as good as he thought uh, it was going to in 23, but USC and Ohio State, it's shocking to me, All right, And I, maybe it's USC as they're making the transition to the Big Ten, getting a more Big Ten-style quarterback. I, I don't know. He doesn't in, – in, like the way I view things, he fits their systems the least out of any quarterback that I would like handpick. Well, Ryan Day disagrees, Ted. <laughs> no, I know. It's crazy. They lose Kyle McCord. He ends up – where he's, he's going to Syracuse. Yeah. So that's weird. I don't know, but I'll, I'm interested to see Will Howard entered Ohio State uniform. That's going to be, it's going to be something. I assume he's going to be the starter there, but hey, I guarantee you this. A man's getting a nice fat check to go there, I assume. I know it. So he, he's played this thing perfectly. Going to be the, he went, from a guy that we were said, hey man, I don't know if quarterbacks for you to be the starter at Ohio State under Ryan Day, that's a that's quite the glow up. I know, and I still I still can't process it. I I I, I don't know. It's wild to me. Wild. Well, what else is wild? Do you, think, is, do you think he'll have a lot of success at Ohio State? I I think he's a good player. I do. I I think he's a good player. He put some impressive stuff. Uh, just as a passer, he put some impressive stuff on tape this year. I just, it's a new system. It's different than what he was doing at Kansas State, but I assume he's going to adjust quickly. I, good leader, prototypical size. There's a lot to like. Yeah. I know yeah. this. He's going to have a lot better wide receivers around him than he did at Kansas State. Makes a difference. Makes so, a difference. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Now, his O-line may be a little worse. But then again, Ohio State, they they do a pretty damn good job of churning out offensive linemen, too. I mean, they, yeah. it, he is going from uh, Kansas State, they 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 do more with less. That's a great way of describing that program. There's two or three programs in all of college football that can say that they are more talented than Ohio State year in and year out. Yeah. So wild. I mean, it, he'll it'll be a different role for him, and maybe it suits him better. He's going to be more of a more of a passer of the football, not not a. I mean, you know, they had some tough. He had to do some tough duty over the last couple of years running the ball and taking a taking a beating. Yeah, I'm sure he views it as an opportunity to show that he can play. You know, he can play true quarterback. Yep. From. A former, or I guess from the future Ohio State quarterback to a former one. My winner of the weekend, the Houston Texans. Ooh. Man, primetime Saturday night, went and got it done in Indianapolis. Uh, clinch a playoff spot. Now, the Jags are still playing as we're recording this. But 
you look at it, they finished 10 and seven. They won seven of their last 10. This is the organization that won three games last year. Fired their head coach. D'Amico Ryans comes in, does a hell of a job. Now everyone was losing their minds with Lovey Smith that that group won that game last year to where they didn't get the first pick. <laughs> it ends up working out perfectly for them. Yeah. Being able to draft C.J. Stroud. I mean, Ted, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Houston Texans fans right now. They're headed to the playoffs for the first time since 2019. Uh, Nico Collins put to put together one of the most dominant performances we've seen from a wide receiver this season. What was it? Nine for 195. Yeah. Including that long touchdown early from Stroud. But Stroud, when they had to put a drive together, that drive in the fourth quarter that ended up being the game winner, just a couple fantastic throws. The one where he scrambled it all over the place and just flicks it. Obviously, it has to feel so different than it did this time a year ago for a Houston Texans fan. Like they have to be so excited. It feels like you got the right guy at head coach. And it looks like you got the next great quarterback in the National Football League, or at least that's how it feels to me. Well, yeah. And and you don't have to go back a year. They started off the season horribly. All right. And I'm sure it was like, well, okay, it's going to take a little while. But as soon as CJ Stroud what game was it where he he finally took over as a starting quarterback? It's been totally different for them. And for a rookie season, he's been excellent. Um, you know, battled through some injury stuff here late, but he's been he's been way better than I expected him to be, especially this early. And just looking at it right now, there's three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Tennessee is up twenty eight to twenty. So if Tennessee beats Jacksonville in that game, did they win the division? crazy i mean so just a now looking at that game Minshew throws it a little behind goodson gotta catch that one though dude game's on the line gotta catch that one but looks like the colts were going to win the game but instead texans win cj stroud feels like he's you know what he feels like he feels like he's going to be one of the faces of the NFL. That's what he feels like to me. Yeah. That's the way it feels. Like the stuff he's saying on the mic, the way that he plays, some of these highlight plays he's making. He feels like he's going to be that dude. Yeah. Well, that's, right. that's exciting for a fan base. Like I'm excited for Texans fans. I know. I, I think it's... um it's I, I didn't expect it. I didn't know what to think of the D'Amico Ryan's hire, but it, so far it's all gone great for him. It, it, it's working out exactly how you'd hoped. Yeah. That brings me to my loser of the weekend. The Oklahoma city thunder. Oh, dad, we were riding high. We were riding high after they beat the Celtics. Thunder got, a ton of attention also as a result of that win and what they had done in that, what about 10 game stretch? They were the main topic leading all of the NBA podcasts I listened to. I'm listening to Bill Simmons say that Shea's better than Tatum and that, you know, that's incredible how good they are. Ryan Rosillo just showering the Thunder with praise. Like, how are they so good when their team's so young? Zach Lowe, everyone. 
all the people, our, our buddies over at Down to Duck, the guy that do the Thunder podcast, Andrew Schlecht and that group, just everyone's excited. I was excited. You were excited. All Thunder fans excited. And they've dropped back-to-back games since getting all the love. Now, Hawks loss, okay. It, it is what it is. Squad looked pretty worn out for that one. Now, they put together a wildly entertaining comeback, and Dagnall drew up an awesome play. And Isaiah Joe just missed it, right, to send that thing into overtime. The Nets loss is the one that that hurt. And it wasn't the fact that they they lost. It was the fact that they fell down by, what was it, 32 at one point? It's wild. To that team? That was the that slow start was disappointing. And on one hand, I'm just fired up that I care so much about these games again. <laughs> yeah. But it also now you just get you get mad, you get disappointed. Like there's all these feelings that you have each game with the Thunder because of how good they've been so far this season. And yeah, falling down to that Nets team by 30 plus, not great. Now, once again, came back in the fourth. I think they continue to show a lot of fight. I appreciate the fight that they've shown in those last, in the two losses when it felt like the games were absolutely over early in the fourth quarter. But yeah, to get all of that love and praise and then drop back to back games to the Hawks and Nets, it's just, it feels like one of those classic situations where, oh, got all the love. And then what happened? That's just, it, it's okay. Have, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. You're going to have some of those lulls. Like that, that 10 game stretch they were on, they played, you know, they, they spent a ton of energy playing some of the best teams in the NBA. Um, they were hot for a bit. You got to kind of resettle a little bit. What they're probably, they're starting to knock on the door of being ha- at, at the halfway point of the season. And, you got to imagine that's going to come pretty good. Like they're going to, it's going to be much needed for this squad whenever they, they get that little break. Yeah. It it does seem, you know, Chet's look a little tired and those losses, especially in the Hawks one, he didn't have much juice at all. The, the thing that is, you know, it's exciting and a little frustrating. It's like Shea has still just been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Nets game. What was it? 34-9-6? and six? What's the MVP watch looking like? Top two, top three. I mean, they're still second in the West. right? I think they're two games back in Minnesota. Now, win percentage-wise, they're still ahead of Denver. But 23-11, and 11, I think if you would have told any Thunder fan, hey, through 34 games, they're going to be 23-11, and 11, yeah, sign me up. But yeah, what was the over under win total before the season? Like 46, 47? No, I think it was like 44 and a half. 44, okay. Yeah. But it's it's interesting how as a fan base, like our expectations have changed so early already in the season. Yep. That's the way it goes, man. It, it doesn't it look like there's some dominant team out there. Like Boston's really, really good. Minnesota is clearly I, I, I think we have some doubts about them because they haven't done it in the playoffs. But right, they look really good. Denver, you know, we'll see what Denver looks like 
Jokic is just you see that three pointer, the bank he hit. Oh my gosh. No, I didn't game see winner. That. It was awesome. But one thing, and, and I don't know how you adjust to it as the Thunder, but it feels like this has all happened pretty quickly. All the attention. But yeah. with all that attention they're getting, they're going to get everyone's best shot. Yeah. The days of teams resting guys or maybe going out the night before and partying before they play the Thunder, those days are over, brother. This is, they are now a team that other teams are going to take extremely seriously and other teams are going to want to play well. Yep. That's right. Especially the star guys. They're going to want to go head to head with Shea. Some of these bigs, they're want to go, they're going to want to go head to head with Chet. So that's where they are. They are maybe the buzziest team in the league. And there's a certain reaction that that causes from every other team in the association. There's no doubt. It's a good point. So they're back in action on Monday night against the Wizards. And guess what? The Wizards are terrible, but they're going to get the Wizards' best shot. Yep. Because Jordan Poole's going to look at it and go, you know what? I'm better than Shea Gilgis Alexander because that's how Jordan <laughs> Poole is wired. But I just, I think it's, it's funny how quickly our expectations of this team have changed. And it's, it's a product of the success that they're having. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, it's obviously life's going to get more difficult. You're going to be in, in more difficult games. You're going to get more of people's best shot. As you pointed out, You're probably going to be in, in more primetime games, you know, under the lights where you got a national audience. So it's where you want to be. Make sure you're prepared for it. All I know is this. The combination of Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, just from what I can gather from all the stuff I've read and listened to, I think everyone, like every GM in the NBA would choose that core three over any other core three in the league right now. Young, athletic, still room to grow potential-wise for, for all three guys. Yeah, it's impressive. I there, There's some interesting conversations to be had, but I think with the way that those three guys have looked, I don't think anyone has a more exciting like core three guys moving forward than the Thunder right now. And it's fun, man. It's fun, but this early season success, now the expectations have changed. If they lose to Washington, though, then we get angry. Yeah, well, they're going to drop some, like, you're right, though. The expectations is going to change your perspective on everything, and you just, I I don't know. I'm I'm just thrilled with where they're at. I'm, I'm being I'm being patient. I'm proud of myself. I'm being patient with these guys right now. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Birthday shout outs. Happy fifth birthday to Megan Pladic. Pladic. Yeah. Pladic. H L A D I K. Pladic. Pladic. Is this like a the H is silent situation? Laddick. It's just Laddick. 
Yeah. Megan, I'm sorry. We tried I, our best. It has to be one of those. Happy 10th birthday to Carter Jensen. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Happy 31st birthday. 31st birthday to Connor Pladic. Pladic? 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 I'm sorry, Connor. Happy birthday. Happy 43rd birthday to Ryan Foshi. Happy birthday to Kevin McDaniel. And happy birthday to Bubba Dukes Beasley. On that note, episode 385 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Wednesday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great start to your week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time